0: G'day,
1: g'day, g'day, g'day listeners. Snake Edwards on the recorder here. This one's a belter. Uh, Welcome to this episode of A Chat With Pat, again at the Annotate Agency studio, and I'm blessed to have, fourth time lucky, fourth time uh, attempt to get (laughs) Nadia (laughs) Zakaria in the studio. Welcome, welcome.
0: Hi, it's nice to finally be here. (laughs) I reckon it took us four attempts, but we made it.
1: Yes, we did get there, so if it wasn't for a certain injury, my finger, we'd be there ready for the first time I reckon. I'll
0: try to be uh, worth the wait.
1: <laughs> oh, but I think a lot of people definitely get a lot out of this episode but just to I guess introduce yourself and your role. I mean I find it very interesting what you do especially because of your background but I'll let you take that away. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, I should have this down to a science by <laughs> now with how many times I've had to introduce myself but yeah I'm Nadia. I'm a mental health and mental performance coach. Yep. Uh, I have a background in psychology so I did my undergrad in psych um, and Got to the end of the course and decided that the traditional system probably wasn't too much for me. I can be a little bit anti-establishment sometimes. I
1: love that, yeah. <laughs>
0: and I think that sparking me kind of led me towards the coaching path. So I went into a coaching course after that um, and I also started working in HR for a big construction company yep. um, and sort of – through my experience there and through the coaching course and the psychology yeah. went into coaching one-on-ones. Yeah. Um, and since that I've kind of developed my business and it's kind of expanded from that. And now I do like some meditation. I do some breath work. I kind of do all the holistic things brought in together. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah,
1: that's me. It, and I find it very interesting because, and like this is not to disparage anyone who does life or like we all know people are working their life coaching or I hate that yeah, word. Yeah, I do too. Like, being like, a social um, guy. yeah, <laughs> I absolutely hate <laughs> or that a word. A <laughs> mental coach, um, but like you've got the psychology degree behind yeah. as well, and I and I love that. So, what was it about the stringent uh, stringent? It's like so I guess psychoanalytical phase of being a psycho- psychologist that. Mm made you not want to do that and become the mental coach. Exactly.
0: I just think it was concerning that I got like <laughs> three or four years into a course and no one spoke to me about like gut health and yeah. its relationship with mental health mm. and just so many things that didn't get discussed. There was so many things that I very quickly started to learn that I just didn't understand how I could get through a four year degree and they just didn't touch on at all. I think also the aspect that it's very mental health focused. It's very mm. like, um, Treatment diagnosis focused. And when I think about my big vision for the world, it's not just to be resolving mental health issues. It's to be a place where people are coming to get this support before there is a problem. And we're going into those skills beforehand. And we're actually being able to work on mental performance, Mm -hmm. right? That other aspect of it as well. And I didn't see a world where I was really going to get to do that within the rules of traditional psychology and going down Mm. that path. And I also knew a few people who had seen psychs for years and I'd never seen them change. Mm. And then they saw a coach for a period of time and I saw a really drastic change in them. So it kind of, I just sparked my interest. And then when I started to do the course, I just resonated with that modality, I guess, more than I did the traditional one. And Mm. to be fair, this is probably (laughs) going to be unpopular to say as well, I hate the term life coach. Yeah, And I think- there is a lot of crap people calling themselves a coach because you yeah. need to understand that to get that title, anyone can have it. Yes. So make sure you do your due diligence if you are working with a coach to ask what credentials they have, you know, because that's fantastic. Maybe they have a lifetime worth of experience and then they did a little NLP course and they're coaching you from that perspective and that's okay. And maybe there's someone who is just coaching From their life experience in a two-day course and you're okay with that but when you're going into someone like that and putting yourself in a really vulnerable position and investing all this money just make sure that you actually trust that where they're coming from can actually support you in more than just what it appears online sometimes so i you know i do operate under that that guise but i think it also can get really misused and people Mm. need to be cautious of coaches sometimes because you know say what you will about psychology but after eight or nine years of schooling they have some understanding of what they're talking about you know you're not it's unlikely to be dangerous even if it's not really beneficial and I have seen some situations where coaching can like almost be a bit dangerous because someone who's not actually developed enough in their own journey is then trying to help someone else and you can kind of create a cycle mm, which can be a bit dangerous so yeah. just to touch on that little giggle about life coaching <laughs> i was like yeah
1: i'm much the same because being a social worker yeah i'm very exactly. much the same to that like there are good ones out there 100%. But i love the part how you said um you know go to like i had a great wait, Was it uh, matt Boland? and i think the fitness industry coach yeah like, that, that's another industry that gets bombarded by this term yeah um like if you want to go to like Matt Boland he's a PT we had him on he's like I will open my hand up and say look if you want this extensive nutrition advice you can go to a nutritionist or a dietitian or whoever I'm a strength coach I focus on you know lifting heavy weight and getting bigger yeah um, if you want to look for high, um, look endurance, go to an endurance coach, someone that's ran marathons and done all those amazing things. And I really love how you mention those things. You're similar in that way. Yeah. Which is – um yeah, very – yeah, I agree. Yeah, I very much agree.
0: Beware the fallacy of authority. Like yeah. just because I label myself something yeah. and I post some cool videos, like that is not enough to trust everything I have to say. So, yeah, yeah I encourage due diligence if going yeah. down that path. I
1: think anyone can kind of sound – very smart these days. Yeah. Like they can like in, in a way if yeah. they, they like look smart enough or like, you know, on like Instagram or social media is a great tool for that. This person's got this tag like coach and then people get hooked yeah, mm. straight away. So yeah, very much, very much correct. Um, what is your, I guess, what's your practice look different like to someone seeing a psychologist? I mean, in regards to clients mm-hmm. and um, also the way you work. I know you touched on it a bit, but mm. what would be the main differences there?
0: And I guess the thing I'll also say here is, it's probably not always different. I think there are a lot of psychologists now in comparison to when I did uni, which was a few years ago now. Yeah. Um, nowadays there are some psychologists that are operating more holistically. So I do think there can be psychologists that you are going to have similar effects with. I think one of the big things I do like with the way that I operate is you get to watch the movie preview before you sit down for the whole movie. So um I have a social media, I have videos online and I am very much just who I am. Yeah, like my videos, that love that. Yeah. <laughs> they're very like unedited. They're just, I have a thought I'd post content. And at the end of the day, who you're working with, it's not dissimilar to a friend. There are friends you want to share with and there's friends you don't want to share with. Yeah. So you need to see that in general, like you like my demeanor, you like my style. Um, I'm very frank. I'm very to the point. I'm very no bullshit. Yeah. That's not for everyone. But for the people it is for, they're gonna like that, they're gonna see that online and they're gonna to gravitate towards that. Um, I think it is the holistic aspect. Like I think some traditional sites can get stuck in, you know, I'm a CBT psych yeah. and that's what I do. Whereas I will use all the tools at my disposal all the time to help people. Um, I think the other thing is I don't consider myself an armchair therapist. So yeah. what I mean by that is everything I learn is not from a book. I lived most of it. Mm. I didn't have the easiest upbringing. I've had my, you know, handful of life challenges. And a lot of what I work with is what I have lived through and what I have now helped clients through. Like I actually generally won't take someone on if what they're going through is well outside of my repertoire. So I'll do a comp call at the start. I'll say, what are you looking for? And if that's not in If I don't feel I can do that, I will on refer them somewhere else because I like to work out of things that I have most generally experienced in some way. Um, And then I think the other bit is that I like to be practical. So I don't think an hour of talking a week or a fortnight is going to create sustained change in your life. It's not (laughs) going to create habits. (laughs) So I'm going to give you homework. I'm going to give you brain training, as I like to call it. Which is very
1: CBT based as well for people listening who are in the mental health field and might be thinking, oh, what's this? But yeah, it's very much the same. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I guess I capitalise on that. But again, bringing together breathwork and meditation and the practical tools all together to kind of give people a comprehensive experience
1: yeah that's amazing that's amazing and i love how you talked about your own experiences probably you know you never you know go to the person who has actually lived by it the most and gone through it or probably the most person who could teach you the most lessons in life yeah, yeah. um how you utilize your experiences i mean without sharing too much i guess you talked about how much your clients cope relate to your experiences mm-hmm. so what will your clientele probably mainly look like
0: <laughs> see that's a
1: it's we're giving too much away, yeah.
0: yeah look it's a um it's gotten quite broad these days because like i have clients anywhere from like 21 year old females to 75 year old men yeah. you know so it's quite broad in like the demographic generally i would say i it's the mental performance stuff yeah. so that's kind of like um they have an, uh, an avenue in the corporate called continuous improvement yeah and that department essentially goes in and just watches everything you do and how you do it and then gives you suggestions on how it can be done differently yeah. and how it can be done better. Um, something that I've learned throughout my life is I'm a real questioner. Like I don't know if it's because of I kind of grew up, my dad's very strict Muslim and my mum is very much not that. So I lived in three worlds, like the world with my dad, the world at school, the world with my mum. Like, you know, she hadn't. I had an uncle that was like quite really wealthy and mum really wasn't. So... I lived in four or five different worlds throughout my whole life. And it meant that I asked a lot of questions and I noticed how a lot of things were different and I got really good at pulling things apart. Yeah. And I think when it comes to continuous improvement or that performance thing, that's what i do like i'm not necessarily the very best at any one thing but i can go in and watch how you do something and go why do you do that where did that come from why not like this yeah maybe at the end of it you convince me that the way you're doing it is how you should keep doing it but often people go you know what i don't know why i do it like that and you're right this way would be better and that's kind of how we improve on the performance aspect um in terms of the mental health stuff i think i deal with a lot of Self worth, self esteem stuff. Um, and that's definitely something that I battled with a lot in my life. And I think maybe um, a compliment that I get a lot that I really appreciate is people look at me online and say, they can just tell that I'm being very authentic. Yeah. And I think that has been a journey from when I was feeling really insecure. That's my
1: next question? I guess, have you always, I guess, been that
0: no. way? No, yeah. <laughs> not at all. You know, yeah. like, was really insecure and really, like, um, probably always loud but more trying to cover my insecurity with my loudness than genuine confidence, you know. But that sort of journey, and I think now people see that, oh, you're really comfortable with your own skin, and people who are feeling insecure go, hey, tell me how to get there, mm-hmm. and I can take them through that journey. Um, and it's also a lot of the traditional, like, family trauma stuff. Like, I yeah. have I grew up with a lot of abandonment, a lot of attachment issues, um, a really mentally ill mum, a really strict and you know, sometimes quite angry dad and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So in terms of family dynamics and healing from that traditional family trauma and seeing how that becomes your later issues and how you then, you know, I always give like that computer analogy, like you come into the world, a empty computer. And then you get all these software's yeah. ins- installations downloaded that you never asked for, or even
1: pre-downloaded as well. Like, yeah, Ke- yeah, yeah, genetically yeah. and stuff. Genetically, yeah. That's
0: it. And then all of a sudden, you wake up one day and you're running all these systems and you didn't choose yeah. them. So I always say, I'll go in and you tell me which systems you don't like, and I'll help you uninstall them.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. Yeah. So yeah, I hope that
1: kind of. No, that the definitely question makes <laughs> sense. Yeah, but there's a certain level of awareness people have need to have for that as well, don't you think? Like, yeah. I've got this. You know, for example, for example, like I've got this. Addiction problem or something, substance use or something. And then some people may not think it is quite an issue, but to be at the point of realisation is actually quite a powerful thing to come to someone like you. Yeah. you agree?
0: So in that sense, I would say, like, um, the people that are coming to me, probably more like, you know, you're a social worker at a school, so a different outlet where you're even trying to help people have that initial awareness. Generally, if they've made it to my door, Mm. they know something's wrong. Yeah, Yeah. Or they know just generally that they want to be better, you know. So in that sense, I feel like I have it a little bit easier than being in a school or having, like, something thrust upon someone that didn't ask for it. They're not
1: ambivalent to change. Yeah, like, because prior I worked in drug and alcohol counselling as well. Yeah, okay. A lot of the people we saw were... Ordered by the court to attend, and that in itself made the work hard enough as it was because you are forcing the people come sit in this chair and you work five or six sessions trying to get them to change or realise, and therefore that changes the whole scheme of it. So that's a very, I think, a very great like pull for you.
0: And I was going to say, I have so much respect for people that are in the public system. I guess Mm. in that sense, I maybe knew like my frustration levels as well. Like I, I maybe knew that I wouldn't have lasted very long in that system, maybe on some level because of that as well, because I am very like come on
1: let's go. get on with yeah. it you know
0: and you have to have such a great deal of compassion and empathy and patience to be in systems where people are getting court ordered or at schools because like you said you have to keep actually get to the point where they even admit there's a problem yeah you know in that sense i'm really lucky because i'm not only they're coming to me but i'm completely private so yeah. if you're paying out of your own pocket to do this yeah. you're invested and you're wanting to do the change so my clients are generally more compliant. yeah, And especially the performance clients. I love them. They're so compliant. Yeah. Like one session, they're off doing it. Like I don't have to ask them twice. Like it's really, I like having that balance of both because it keeps my sanity.
1: Yes, <laughs> Because
0: I have like people that are really excited and really compliant and it balances out the people that are really having a harder time. And I find that helps me have capacity
1: yeah. for both. Yeah, so yeah, it's that balancing act, right? Like I often think of, I guess broader view things in the world, very good thing There's a bad thing about to happen or there's something else balancing out for every decade you meet. There's a good person around the corner, yeah. around the corner. But um, I really want to touch on your thoughts, um, especially on resilience. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about a bit off air, lovely introduction, but like, especially in my setting and the contrast between both of us working as professionals and then just also as well as in the broader world and what we've gone through recently mm-hmm. and uh, we touched on as well how you work with the older demographic I'm probably a bit younger but I've been very interested to see um, your thoughts on this because I work to the furnace the of young people and I'm just questioning whether are we becoming generally society less resilient or not like and I what's, what's your opinion your, my opinion is it's hard so I'll bounce this in my head very much so the wider audience could very much have their own thoughts on this but I, I question myself when I think. Oh, I openly admit it. I don't think we're as resilient as what we are. We were. Mm-hmm. I think there's a certain. Oh, how do I define this? Yeah, the, there's yeah, there's a balancing act between like yeah, there's things that I think to, I'll use the teenage demographics example went through that I think myself I would have went through pretty okay with, right? Mm-hmm. But then I look back and I think, for example, my mum's my mom's background uh mm. filipino woman who moved here when she was like 20 or mid-20s with like no money mm. um from a third world country and i think well if i went through that then i don't think i would have been able to cope mm. so it is the generations each time just having a different level of stresses that we mm. just face and just can't understand you know that's my take that makes sense yeah yeah
0: i think it's also i'm gonna Define resilience here a yeah. little bit as well. Resilience
1: is a is a niche term now, along with mental mental health, like mental health risen and people taking ownership of that. But resilience seems to be a very niche term now, and yeah.
0: I feel like I look at it in two ways. There's like um, traditional resilience, which is something hard happens, how well do you handle it or yeah. bounce back? Yeah. Um, and I also think it's um, how do I word this? Um, my brain's gonna have trouble. <laughs> Not even when anything's wrong, but just knowing what you need to do and the friction that might come back and the strength or the resilience to push against that friction. So I'm going to use um, health as an example. Mm. So we generally understand that we need to eat well and move our bodies to be healthy, but there is a certain level of friction in the world that provide that will say, eat chips, eat chocolate, don't exercise. And I also view resilience as that strength or fortitude to do what needs to be done to be at your best. Mm, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Not just only resilience against negative things. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Um yeah, I also do feel as if it's declining. I think yeah. resilience seems to be declining generationally and just as a whole society a little bit at the moment. Yeah. Um the why? I think how we do one thing is how we do everything. And in a generation where, you know, from when we've grown up, it's become like, you know, internet and faster phones and yeah. Uber Eats and dating apps and um, I don't know, what else is like that? Like it's
1: almost got too convenient, too easy, too quickly. Correct.
0: Electric yeah. scooters. Yeah. Ele- it's not even a bike that you hire on the street. It's yeah. a motor, it's an yeah. electric bike because God forbid you actually have to pedal to where You need to get yeah. to yourself, <laughs> you know. And I think um, at the end of the day, when we're being given the easy option everywhere, yeah. how do you ever train the muscle that requires resilience? And I think humans are an animal and I think you will survive. Yeah. Your mother came here and she had to survive. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It wasn't another option you to crawl in a ball.
1: You do the things that will make you survive. Right? Correct, yeah. because
0: you're an animal and you have to, but we've gotten so comfortable and so privileged mm-hmm that we very rarely get tested to the capacity of survival anymore. And when we're not pushed to have to, and it's just, what can I do? We often don't believe we can. And therefore the band of resilience seems to be quite small. Yeah. yeah. You know,
1: I often think the way I put resilience um, is the ability to go through uncomfortable things for as long as possible without breaking. So my thing that, Probably increases my resilience. I don't think it gets talked enough between in increasing resilience is like physical activity or working out. Mm. It's like when you're pushing through a hard fucking session and then that voice in your head is telling you this sucks and your whole body hurts and so your pain receptors going through the roof but you choose not to. I think like physical activity is so underrated and like I've touched on the podcast a lot. When I was 18 I lost like 40 kilos, 38 kilos and I think that went a long way but it's not the only tool, right? Like I still have a lot of insecurities as an adult now that I had then. Um, but I think now when I look at kids, like the amount of kids I see dropping out of community sport and just not doing anything, just rather hanging on the streets, I'm like there has to be a correlation there. Yeah, so There has to be. So that's just one thing that I think as well It plays in that part.
0: Yeah, 100%. I literally had this conversation with someone the other day. Um, we we're talking about trauma versus sport teaching you strength and resilience yeah. because I think they both work. Like either sometimes with people that do have a lot of resilience went through a lot of early childhood trauma and had to survive so they built resilience and this person was saying to me the same thing like they did very like competitive sport from a very young age and they feel like it taught them those very similar skills exactly like you said that pushing and that getting through it um so i definitely think that's an aspect of it and like that's why i'm a big fan of like ice baths like i run something called cold and conscious in south melbourne every saturday at um 7 a.m and we get in an ice bath at seven o'clock in a melbourne winter you yeah. know um, it teaches a certain level of resilience you never want to do it it never sees exciting just before it always sucks when you get out but knowing it's good for you and pushing yourself through it no matter how much it hurts like you start to realize your own capability and I think that's a big thing with resilience is people have just forgotten their own capabilities and I also think because we're an, and again I'd be curious to see if you agree with me but I think we're an increasingly insecure society
1: yeah <laughs> well anxiety's through the roof isn't it like Yeah, I I definitely think so. And look, I'm not anti-social media. Like I think that plays a part in a a lot of things, but like it can be a tool, right? And things can be easily abused a lot in the world. It's just knowing about what to level is unhealthy. And I think we've lost a lot of that insight but yeah i totally agree we've become increasingly insecure yeah in in this crazy way
0: and like i always say like insecurity is a real pandemic like you know when we look at what's going on in the world and that has this relationship resilience is hand in hand because your resilience is as much as you believe you're capable of and if you're severely insecure, then you don't believe you're capable of overcoming anything. So yeah. you don't even try yeah, to you see don't how it resili- is. Yeah. yeah, you don't even test the resilience. You just assume that it's not there and mm. you crumble into anxiety and depression and like you don't even try. Yeah, um,
1: yeah. I think, and it's funny, I um, I had Dan Cooper on one of my very early, he's a he literally sees science he was in the marines and he's scientists um he turned into becoming a scientist and he learned literally resilience right yeah literally studied resilience yeah he was um he said i brought up off there about my mom yeah my mom's from the philippines and i actually think is it possible to be too resilient he's like yeah you can like you can be too resilient and get to the point so there's that other end of the spectrum as well i'm like yeah people in philippines in third world country just see like dead bodies on their own they think it's nothing and just like walk past like to that level or yeah, and I think that kind of hustle on that level, there's also that end of the spectrum. Yeah.
0: I think that's also interesting because I reckon maybe this is a bit why we've gone the other way because this is what we do, right? We yeah. go hard this way and then we go hard the other yeah. way. So speaking about our parents' generations, mm. correct. Yeah, they were I maybe too yeah. resilient. They didn't talk about their emotions. There was no awareness of anything being wrong. You just got up, you got on with it. And then we kind of got woke and we started talking (laughs) about feeling our feelings and it's really important and expressing which it is. But I almost feel like we've gone too far back the other way. We're now like, Everyone's labeling themselves anxious and depressed oh, yeah. and
1: oh, my anxiety. That's a big one I hear. Yeah. yeah. Like with all do respect the kids. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Like everyone feels anxiety though. Yeah. Like everyone is doesn't. Doesn't
0: mean that you have anxiety yeah. or everyone has periods of being depressed. Does not mean you have depression. Mm. And I think it's I think that's a bit humankind, really. When we look at history, this is what we do: we go this way, we go that way, yeah. we go this way, we go that way. I love, you know, I hope that one day we find balance in the middle. But I think that that's a little bit what's happened with the resilience factor too. We were, our parents were too hard, mm. and I think our generation, a lot of us, kind of. What, how old are you actually? As <laughs>
1: 28 in March. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool,
0: we're at the same age. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I feel like we're the kind of weird in-between generation where like the internet existed, but we didn't have yes. iPhones and we didn't have social media in our really formative years of development and it's only come later. And the people who have still gone rogue in our age bracket chose
1: it. Yeah,
0: Whereas the people... Younger than us, they didn't have a choice. Like, tick, you, your eight-year-old should not be on TikTok. TikTok. <laughs> Cannot say that more firmly. If you have a child under the age of 12 and they are on TikTok, or they are on Instagram, you are doing nothing but hurting that yes. child. Yeah. I feel so strongly about that. I know you think they're going to hate you and they're not going to be included, but let them hate you for that. Because yeah. it's just... It's a comparison frame. It's bad for their attention spans. It's mm. not teaching resilience. It's yeah, mm. and I think that's why a little bit of we've gone that way is kind of to counterbalance our parents' incredible resilience. Yes. We've gone the other way a little bit.
1: Yeah. Me, me and my mate say that as well. We just got out the right time because yeah. I think we talked about I think Snapchat came around the same age, but. Um, Snapchat came around my first year at uni. People were probably starting a up just remember, before. I don't even remember. When but started. like it was just like that's the perfect time because you're just about an adult, right? Yeah. Like you're not – your brain's getting developed but like you're not succumbing to it a lot easier.
0: I'm sorry um, but high school's hard enough.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. I
0: had enough things to stress yeah. about without like worrying about Instagram and like yeah, it's yeah. a lot.
1: Well, how do we become more resilient? I mean what does – I mean from your knowledge and your expertise, well, okay, like – how do we build resilience? It's like just in the most simplest form, what are some of the ways? I think sport is a really good one. Yep.
0: That you just said. Do hard shit. Yeah. You know, I always say like, um, I think I use this quote at Cold and Conscious a lot. I say, life can either be hard or it can be challenging. It depends on your conditioning. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you are constantly training for really difficult things, then when really difficult things happen, you know how to get to that place. You know how to overcome them. You know, you wouldn't just run a marathon overnight without training for it. So same concept, do hard things. Um, I think my favorite person's like for the extreme of it, go listen to David Goggins's book and like (laughs) understand the capacity of a human. I'm not saying take it that far, but understand that that is the capacity of a human. If he could do that, he's not made of anything different than you and I are, Mm. you know, in theory. So, it's that. Um, I think the other one is work on your self-esteem, Yeah. right? So the more you believe you're capable of, the more likely you are to be resilient. So how do you build your self-esteem, build your self-awareness. So journal, meditate, um, surround yourself with the right people, be cautious of your social media intake, as you just said, because um, a lot of those things aren't helping you build your self image and they're not helping you get to know you they're helping you get to know what everyone else around you is doing and causing you to continue thinking should i be doing that should i be doing this rather than going internal and going who actually am i what do i actually value how do i actually want to show up because when you know that really firmly it gives you a good footing to be resilient from um find silence i think you need to think about like evolutionarily humans have come a really long way in a really short period of time and our brains have not actually caught up. No.
1: Yeah. I've heard this before. Yeah. yeah, I found that very interesting. No. Yeah.
0: Cause how could they have, yeah. how could our brains have been able to, you know, like you said, Snapchat only started when you were in uni. How could your brain have caught up with what it needs to, to be able to run at that pace? Mm. Um, the analogy I always give is like, imagine the first generation iPhone running today's software. <laughs> that that is what your brain is trying to do every day when you are constantly in stimulus and constantly in movement so sit find silence do things in quiet don't talk to people so your brain can catch up with itself because again how do i process or overcome something when i'm still overcoming three days ago because Mm. my brain is still there and i'm catching up with today you know
1: um what about gratitude i mean like is that, does that play a relationship, obviously, like we talked about, you know, Resilience Project and yeah. a lot of big theme there. You know, I haven't read that to, book. Yeah, well, really? No, nah, I few. feel like
0: it's a crime against humanity that <laughs> I haven't. And I've heard it's fantastic. Great book.
1: Great book. Yeah, But, like, I, I think about, you know, the correlation between, you know, people – I often think of most resilient people I have are possibly the most optimistic and grateful people I know. Yeah, like my mum. Like, great. Well, like, is there a correlation there? And then, like, should we be – I, I
0: think that would make sense, wouldn't yeah. it? Because, again, it's like if you're – If you are, if you're grateful and you're in that state of mind, you have more, um, look at it like an energy as well, right? If I'm in a state of lack and a state of complaint and a state of negativity, that's already draining my energy, using my energy. I don't have much energy left to be resilient, because that mm. takes an energy capacity. Gratitude feeds. Gratitude gives you energy. It gives you more so that you are able to channel into something else. Mm. I think maybe um, – I think, again, I think we lean towards what worked for us. So, again, you're, you've obviously observed yeah. that in your mum. good point, yeah. And that's why you lean towards it, whereas it's probably not something that was a massive part of my journey. Um, so I – whereas my dad's not an optimistic – or happy sort of person, but he survived hard shit, yeah. you know, like he escaped Afghanistan, like on foot, like, you know, when Russia invaded and like, that's the stories I grew up on as a kid. And, you know, he wasn't particularly happy or optimistic, but he got up for work every day yeah. and he, there was food on the table every day. And like, you know, he never said no, like when it came to things that had to be done, you know, so I learned my resilience from more a kind of grumpy grit.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's Whereas, like, grit's a good word. Um, you know,
0: today. I that's where I learned mine. Yeah. So I think that's why I gravitate towards, you know, the hard shit and, the, the again, the silence because that's what worked for me. But I think that's really cool because you see for you like – that's obviously from your learning, from your yeah. life experience. You've seen that work, so you know use both.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, His uh, way
0: sounds more fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, instead of just being a true like trigger. but oh, definitely, but like my mum's could definitely got that part of it, the hustle. But and a lot of people have probably got that similar thing as well. But yeah, definitely find what works for you. But I just found it so interesting, like resilience, and yeah, you know, it's, it's coined a lot as well now. Mm. And think about what we've gone through again, COVID, and kids. Well, yeah, we
0: haven't even talked about that part. Yeah, of it, have we?
1: yeah. I mean, um, you know, like. I guess from your learnings, what have you found after COVID, especially going on that part with just the relationship with mental health and performance? I it guess.
0: either was the best thing that ever happened to people or the worst thing that ever happened to people.
1: Yeah, so there was no in-between. Yeah.
0: Not with my clients.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm sure there was. Yep. But again, the people that came to me, you got to remember I'm a skewed segment of society. Um, <laughs> but for me, predominantly, I saw it be like really amazing for people um, mm-hmm. because again, they had the silence. And they didn't have the pressures of the world and they didn't have, um, these responsibilities or they just kind of went very internal. And then they had these amazing ideas and breaks and understandings of themselves. Um, and I think that was a lot of people that weren't financially affected. Mm. Like those people found a lot of that peace and time. And like, I guess also a lot of my clients in that bracket didn't have like, you know, heaps of kids or a lot of things at home with the pressures or, um, the other way, like, as you mentioned, in terms of um, – I also don't think it created problems that didn't exist. I think the being at home and the stuck at home and the science for an extended period of time meant a lot of people's demons caught up with them yeah. and they were stuck at home with them for an extended period of time and humans aren't supposed to be isolated yeah. um, and I did see it erode a lot of people's ability to connect. I saw it create a lot of social anxiety. Oh
1: yeah. I was about to bring that up, social anxiety. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, but again, I'd be curious to see what you found with kids with school, because again, I wasn't dealing with that age bracket. I know for me, like I was pretty emotional at certain points during lockdown because I personally had a pretty hard time when I was about like sixteen. And I remember thinking that if I hadn't been able to go to school, I think I would have killed myself because I really being at home at that point in time was really not a Enough, good yeah. place for me at all and it was a place where I would go and I would get a break and I would get it, it would allow me to be resilient because my cup was being slightly filled and I could keep my head above water and I remember thinking I just don't know that we know what we're doing to kids when we're taking away their ability to look at other people's faces, when we're taking when we're making them afraid of other people and connection and we're telling them that leaving the house is you know, how are you supposed to be resilient when leaving the house is scary? Or shaking yeah. a person's house hand might kill you or you but know what I mean? I also
1: think now that the topic we're getting very but like the topic of um resilience in this Well, could this be the thing that they look back on and they got through and they talk about now yeah like me and you like another version well of i'm Martin asking you because you yeah. you've
0: worked with the well, kids I'd and hope, i didn't so. so
1: for my work but like yeah social anxiety definitely and resilience are the two biggest things i see yeah um i, don't, I like and obviously this all due respect and, and the data shows this everywhere mm. like like suicidal ideation and body image issues as well yeah just gone up but yeah, like social anxiety. It's almost like a. It was almost like we hit a reset with kids and adolescents, and then they come out and it's like, how do I behave? behave yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all they've had is and the I used online to think That was a corner. crazy thing. Sorry, I used to think it was a crazy thing. Like, of course, you know how to behave, right? But then when I look through, when I was. Uh, like, like, between 14 and 18, I had no fucking idea. Like, no. I had no idea. I, you and
0: know, you've been at home for two years. Yeah,
1: yeah. And life, like what you said, life was pretty good. Like, oh, like, I was. it was hard, but I was still okay, right? Yeah. Like, I could take calculated risk. I could still go to parties underage and yeah. have a good time and be okay Monday and go to school, all right, you know? Like. Yeah. But, yeah, and you take a lot of that away because um, – and I also use the analogy where the kid's lens when you, when you're an adolescent, your lens is much smaller. To when you're 28,
0: yeah. more everything age, feels right? like the end of the world. Yes,
1: and there's more weight in those things. Yeah, and that's okay. That's all right. It's just yeah. your lens then. But then when you get to 28, you can get it. Like things can a couple of things can fall apart. and You'll be all right. Yeah. Like, you know, you know, you could lose a job, but you still get your past experience to get you another job.
0: Yeah, but you've also yeah. survived everything until that point. Whereas yeah. at a high school age, it's kind of like they went through this massive challenge before they'd had to survive much else and like it just and again i think maybe being at stuck at home with phones and stuff versus maybe when there's because there's been war and stuff like that right kids have been around when there was war their parents were going to war and bombs were being dropped and and we're saying they're the most resilient generation so what was the difference right why did they come out more resilient and we're maybe saying that people have come out less resilient yeah. you know like what i think that's the thing people should people should observe is like well, what are the factors that have been different and i guess how do we overcome that now at this point yeah you know? and,
1: and that's why i asked i talked about COVID a couple of times on this like see how you know whether people because we all had to go through it right yeah. so we all had different experiences and that's why i find it interesting because we're caught in that rebuild and what's going to happen after it so mm. i find it yeah very interesting especially in the mental health and illness Like facet.
0: Yeah. I think you're right. Like with the right support after, you'd like to think that it can be that thing for children. I think it's that whole maybe also dependent what developmental phase they were in and stuff, like how long those things are going to stick around for and what that specific age bracket needs to overcome. Like is it just learning to interact again? Mm. Is it the confidence piece? Is it the learning piece? Like it's going to be a little bit different, I think, for every age bracket, what they need to overcome it. But, Mm. yeah, I do think overall like – that you've probably pinpointed the biggest challenge of our current generation set is like that resilience piece and the self esteem piece. I think like and how those two go in
1: together. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely yeah. We're in that phase of like wait and see, right? Where the work's got to be done now. Yeah, yeah. Now to flip the, uh, the, the I guess to change the topic a bit. And I've you know obviously looked on your, your content and all the stuff you talk about, and obviously a big piece of relationships and dating, right? Mm. Um, Oh, recently, I don't know if you saw it. Jess Matthews on the mm-hmm. be, the Boy Detox. She was a dating coach, and we touched on attachment theory, and then a lot of people followed up from then. Well, how can I get a bit more analysis on that? Because Jess just we just kind of touched on, it on the surface and gave yeah. a lot of people different content strategies and things going back into the world dating again. But like, I guess going into the psychology of attachment, I guess mm-hmm. so you able to explain to the listeners about you know, attachment, how they form and how much they do influence our relationships down the track mm-hmm. and not just intimate ones, but I guess even all other relationships as well.
0: Yeah, it's definitely, it's funny because yeah. that was my...
1: It's very much come up too as a talking point I've noticed as well. Yeah. Like attachments and yeah. Well,
0: I think yeah. It's, it was my favourite theory when I was at uni because I felt like it explained all my problems. What's
1: the pillar, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when it doesn't, like it's for a frame, like it doesn't fix all your problems. Hey? Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, but it's a good baseline. And I think first thing I'd say is read the book Attached. I think it's good by Adam of, Adam Levine, yeah. maybe. Love yeah. um, the
1: Marine Five singer. <laughs> <laughs> is that actually the name? <laughs>
0: so, um, but that's a good like summary. Um, I guess I'll explain the sper- the experiment first. So the theory mm. comes from um, it's Balby and I can't remember who the co writer is. So sorry to whoever it was. But they essentially did an experiment with young children. Um, it was called the Stranger Experiment. So oh. they had a like a viewing room, um, and there was a lab technician in the viewing room and a parent would go in with a small child um, and they would put the child down and leave the room and they observed the child's physical reactions and also its physiological reactions like heart rate etc all the things Um, at the end of that experiment they found they categorized in three ways the way that the children seemed to respond secure anxious or avoidant So um, the anxious child, the parent would put them down and walk away. The child would start crying and the child would cry the entire time the parent was gone. The parent would come back and the child would likely still be crying. Uh, In the secure environment, the parent would put the child down, leave. The child would cry initially. It would soothe. And then when the parent came back in, it would be excited to see the parent. It would regreet the parent. The avoidant child um, would be put down, the parent would leave, and the child would act indifferent to the fact that the adult had left and would reject the parent when it returned. But when they observed the child's um, physiological uh, like what am I, stats, mm. it was actually the same as the anxious child's. They just didn't show it.
1: Yeah.
0: Wow. Right? So, yes, the theory is that you carry on this attachment style throughout your life. So whoever your primary caregivers were um, and however they related to you, is there is evidence to say that follows you throughout your life. So um, what causes an avoidant attachment style? Um, generally, and remember that this isn't always black and white because <laughs> um, when you read the books, for example, the that – The time
1: between, Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: But the books will say like an avoidant um, – usually a child who's avoidant maybe had like an abusive parent. Mm-hmm. Like really this child knew that there was no way you were going to be there to support them. Yeah. So they just decided to not need you because needing you and consistently being rejected was too painful. So they just got used to you not being there. So serious cases of neglect, serious cases of abuse. But it also I've seen it happen in like um, – people that have like celebrity parents or parents that work a lot in another yeah. home. Yep. Um, and maybe when they are home, they're still emotionally unavailable. So the child just went, got sick of being rejected every time they pulled for the parents. So they became internal and they just go, I don't need anyone. They become fiercely independent. I can do everything on my own. Yeah. They have commitment issues yeah. when they get older. Yeah, they're the, the
1: fuck way. Yeah. Mm, well, yeah. yeah. Like the commitment issues. Yeah. elfin, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. Or
0: oh, fuck, girl. They yeah, go in both yeah, directions. Yeah. 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 Um, they're overly independent people that have trouble attaching, have trouble expressing emotion. Um, whereas the anxious person had an inconsistent caregiver. So I was traditionally anxiously attached. My mum has a severe mental illness. So what that meant is sometimes she was there and she was normal, sometimes she wasn't. And again, a child's survival mechanism is let me tune in to what you can and can't give me, yeah. but they become anxious because they're always like, am I going to get it? Am I not going to get it? Am I going to get it? Am I not going to get it? Um, and that's maybe like if we're going like traditional roles, like that girl that just can't quit the fuck boy, mm. she's generally anxiously attached yeah. because she's just thriving off his in and out and he's coming in and out and just hoping that he'll give her that love. Yeah. Um, and love the
1: chase in a way, yeah.
0: Well, they don't love the chase. They're tormented yeah. by it, yeah. but they believe that that is a part of love. Mm. So it's almost that it's giving them their framework of how they think relationships are supposed to run. And it's the relationships that they feel most comfortable with. So an anxiously attached person will often ironically be attracted to an avoidantly attached person. Did she talk about that stuff?
1: Yeah. 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 A little bit. Yeah. Yeah, So. Yeah, because we, we also – in-depth is great, obviously, with your psychology background. And then also think the influence of, again, COVID and people going back out there and being excited to meet people again in a very um – like a quote unquote normal way, like going out and it really amplified the, the dating scene again, I think. And yeah. people become very interested in, well, you know, what attachment am I? You know, yeah. what love language do I have? And
0: yeah, yeah, that. everyone's having these conversations yeah. now on first dates. Yeah. It's like, you should see my list. It's yeah. a lot, you know. <laughs> um, I think the thing to understand as well is, um, no, your attachment style is not fixed forever. So what happens is every time you build further relationships, you have an opportunity to repair your attachment style. But often, unfortunately, what happens is, Is because you're unaware you continue to repeat your same cycle so as an anxious person you keep choosing people that meet that blueprint that are avoidant and you keep holding on to your trigger people leave people leave people leave when you're avoidant you actually want to connect with people but you get in the way of it so you never actually learn that people because the avoidant actually wants to be loved but they don't believe that anyone will ever stay yeah so they keep creating that reality through their own avoidance. But if you can be really cognizant and have the right support with a the therapist yeah. and all that sort of thing, you actually can throughout your time, slowly repair your attachment style so that you go closer to secure. Yeah. Like ironically, I was anxious and then I became avoidant.
1: <laughs> and <laughs> now, yeah,
0: yeah, I went, as we said, we go this way and then yeah. we go that way. Right. Cause I got really burned from being anxious as an adult. Yeah. And then I was like, how do I cope with this? And I went probably too far and became a bit avoidant in a relationship and then have found my way back to center where I probably still lean a little bit anxiously, but I'm so much more secure than what I was Mm. when I was like, you know, before I understood what it properly
1: was. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's very interesting. What do you resonate as? Oh, I said it on the podcast. I was very anxious, but I've become very secure in the space of a short time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that Is like values driven And you know yeah. The, and Jess had a good thing Like it sounds She goes It sounds cliche But focus on yourself If you want to kind of Go on through stuff And you yeah. want to become secure Like look at go, Still go after the things That you want to do And you want to go after And then yeah I essentially did that In a short matter of form But yeah Yeah Definitely it can resonate with what you do, like anxiety and then go anxious and then go to secure. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: I think another, like, um, while we're on this topic, I think another similar thing that I learned that I found quite profound is like
1: love blueprints. Mm. So yeah, you touched on that. think explain that to people. Yeah, more. Yeah. So
0: um, look at it this way. Um, so I don't think, I don't think that love is completely inbuilt, mm. right? So what happens is you come into the world and however you first experience love creates a puzzle piece. And that's now your blueprint for love. So you go out and seek that same love as an adult. So you know how they say you date your parents? Yeah. So dating your parents in that sense, it's both attachment style and it's love blueprints. Because what that is, is you've decided that that's um, what it feels like to be loved and you continue to seek that out. So it seems really ironic, but say you have an avoidant, father, and then you're going out there being attracted to avoidant men because you've decided that's what love feels like. And when you meet someone who m- matches that puzzle piece, you're really attracted to them and really into them. So my warning to people is, is if you come from a love you don't want to repeat, be very cautious at lo- of love at first sight. Mm. Because what love at first sight is, is...
1: Chemistry. It's yeah. Well, it's
0: an unconscious reaction to the person yeah. and your unconscious programs come from your childhood so if you and that's okay if you have secure attachment you can go and chase that person who you felt instant like obsessed with before yeah. you had a good i always say if you don't have a good reason to like them well, well what's the point? think about that <laughs> it, well, not, it's not what's the point yeah. that can work but you need to think about that if you come from a love blueprint that can be toxic, Mm. because it's likely that that's what the person is triggering for you. Um, And I'd like, yeah, I have lived that one. And I have seen a lot of people live that one a lot as well, because that's that person that like makes you crazy. And the sex
1: is wild. And you know,
0: everything's like so intense, but also can be really volatile. If like I said that, that love blueprint itself isn't one you actually want to repeat.
1: Yes. Yeah. And, um yeah that's very much very much so it's interesting how you said you know you chase through you know it's a mirroring of your parents relationship when you saw so therefore your, your attachment is but um as i was going with that like attach it's just it's become such a thing now where people have talked about especially after covid mm-hmm. you know, i find it they're so interesting as well like, mm-hmm. and then can we i mean does your client tell i mean do you because you post a lot of, and i'm just gonna ask like you post a lot about dating relationships and, and do you have a, a Solid clientele—people who come to you with regarding relationships or breakups or dating. Yeah. So
0: I see couples. Yeah. Um, and I do see quite a lot of couples. Um, and I have also done a lot of breakups as well. Like mostly girls, to be fair, through the breakup process that have come to me. Um, Why do you think that is? (laughs) I think that
1: is it. Just the stigma of men don't want to. Are they sourced? They look at breakups a different way to recover.
0: I find men come to me often because a woman made them
1: <laughs> yeah. so very often but
0: yeah. often not even as a couple it's like something really intense has happened in their relationship and now they're like like they cheated like an
1: ultimatum or, or, yeah.
0: or maybe it hasn't even quite got to that point but she has been the mirror that has reflected to him that there is a problem and from that mirror he is now willing to take that step and come get the help um i do have some like completely single non-attached men that have come but to be honest I would say majority of my male clients came funneled from a woman's suggestion or influence and I do as I said I actually work a fair bit with couples as well and I think that's just because I am obviously a woman but (laughs) I can I have run a bit out of my masculine so I can speak to men and like understand that perspective Mm. and their view and I always say like like women we speak different languages and we pretend we speak the same language (laughs) and I kind of I act as an interpreter
1: yes (laughs)
0: And I really love the relationship stuff, to be honest. Like, I actually think that potentially in the future, that's where I'm headed mm. more exclusively,
1: potentially. Yeah. Yeah. It's – yeah. It's, it's – it's, like, I'm a hopeless romantic, so I like, find it very interesting. Very yeah. interesting relationship stuff, and because – um, I look back at my, my ability Like it's funny You said that You can play both roles I'm probably lean A little bit more Like feminine Because yeah. I'm very close To my mum Right She's the most amazing Lady in the world mm. So yeah And I never Like not, not saying that My dad wasn't around But he just wasn't You know What was exp- I guess expected? Is that like better term? But yeah, yeah. So I I really resonate with that, and I probably have been around a lot of women my whole life. So therefore, I can lean that way a bit more, and yeah, yeah generically softer, and can talk to women very quite comfortably as much as men. So yeah, yeah. It's quite. I thought ask because you talk a lot about relationships, and well, I guess what in your work relationships wise have you found quite interesting? I mean, in regards to how males and females operate.
0: Oh, how do I summarize this one topic? <laughs> Just literally that we speak different languages and we don't understand, firstly, we don't believe that. Like you don't, you think you're saying the same things and understanding it the same way and you're not at all.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I see a lot of like, you forgot you're on the same team.
1: Yeah
0: right yeah. and you've come in and you both of you are trying to win a battle as opposed to like realizing that no one wins when one of you wins mm. you know we become very adversarial um and i think to be honest in my opinion there is and i this is not my original concept i don't even know <laughs> where i heard this but i agree with this concept that there are four pillars to a relationship that is the chemistry and the attraction piece, um, the lifestyle piece, as in how similar are our lifestyles, like what we do on the day-to-day. So values,
1: like Jess talked a bit about Not values, values. yet. Not so
0: lifestyle, like what time do you wake up? What time do you go to bed? What do you eat? Do you drink filtered water? It's current, <laughs> current dating dilemma I'm having is trying to convince the guy to drink filtered water. You know what I mean? So um, then it's values, then it's long-term goals. And I think very rarely do people consider all four when they get into a relationship. They then hit a point where they have a massive discrepancy and they don't know how to resolve it because they didn't talk about long-term goals and now someone wants a kid and the other person does. They didn't talk about values because there was so much chemistry and their lifestyle seemed really perfect. But now, you know, they have different opinions about how they raise their kids or where they should live or who should work and not work or what's an acceptable way to – to talk to people, you know, um, it's lifestyle. Like the values are perfect. You know, maybe you met in lockdown and values are perfect. Lifelong goals are perfect. Chemistry is amazing. But he, you work completely opposing hours of the day and you never mm. see each other. Yeah. You know, and I think it's a lack of consideration for all those factors that then compounds into whatever the problem is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a very great way of putting, putting towards it. Like everyone can like fall in like kind of love. Mm -hmm. but like i think our depiction of what and i realized this with jess again like our depiction of what a healthy relationship is is very much caught up in how we've been depicted in like movies and what love and romance is but really it's you know going home and who's made the dinner and being a partnership and hey it's just basic communication and Mm. literally just being friends i i kind of think of it Mm. yeah and and that's very much the four pillars pillars, yeah i think of my best mates like like we're a very close group of mates and we have the same probably four pillars really yeah like I think of us like lifestyle, we love the mornings and, you know, um, values wise, yeah, we're all the same. Like it's very much in those, those four pillars as well. Yeah.
0: But yeah. if one is missing, there will be a disintegration and then yeah. you will forget that you're on the same team and then you will start clashing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just think if we looked at all four of those earlier on in the piece, we'd have far less...
1: Issues. Mm. It's also the
0: insecurity thing plays into the yeah. relationships massively as well. Yeah, the
1: attachment stuff as well. Yeah, because yeah. the
0: less secure, the less, but even not even in an attachment perspective, if you're just generally insecure, mm. then you are likely to be jealous, paranoid.
1: Yeah, imp- what are they doing? Yeah. yeah,
0: correctly. And then that in itself mm. creates its own problem as well. So but that's also
1: that. in depth to people who've probably just had seriously bad lucky relationships like, like like you know bad things happen to good yeah. people like you know like where you know be cheat you know we all know the person who's been cheated on a lot or oh, a yeah. of times and how much i stuck with them and the, yeah that filters into the insecurities as well
0: yeah and that's it like it's no one's fault but that's yeah, definitely not, the yeah. the if you're asking the big thing that i see is that one of those four pillars are missing and then they don't know how mm. we're not taught how to conflict how to do conflict resolution
1: yeah and that's part of resilience isn't it like yeah. we talked about earlier like yeah like how yeah it's very much a good point.
0: Everything okay. boils down to those two things. Yes, exactly exactly. <laughs> um right. yeah and but also in some ways like some things aren't reconcilable like some level of values difference is mm. but a complete difference in value systems. Just I think there's a rule that says have three out of five in common and that's okay. Mm. Less than three out of a common and three out of five in common and yeah. it's going to be a challenging relationship. Mm,
1: yeah and then you add um, obviously the values when you add like love languages and having the same in that way, like it's fucking hard. Like yeah, it is I, hard. Like, yeah. I feel
0: like love languages almost comes into like lifestyle and chemistry. Yeah, for sure. Right? For
1: sure. It's just like what I'm saying is like, you know, it's, it's not easy actually no. being in a relationship or getting a relationship no. or finding someone that's special. It is. Unless you're the about <laughs> <laughs> these a child of I tweeter. Re- like,
0: I reckon it's generally the most <laughs> difficult thing you'll ever do.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: But the most important thing to get right.
1: Yeah, uh, totally. yeah I totally – yeah, I resonate with that very much as well. Um, but, yeah, it's it's very – I find it very interesting.
0: I think my one piece of advice is think about those four pillars. Where you don't align, make a deal. Mm. There's a woman, Alison Armstrong, she talks a lot about this, and that's what she says, like, cool, see where you align, where you don't, make a deal. Mm. Don't just – keep having the same argument over and over again. You have to find a way. Is there a deal that you both actually can get on board with and agree to that will neutralize that argument? And no, ladies, a deal is not I fought with him so much (laughs) he gave up on fighting with me and said yes because he will resent you for it and he will do it later anyway. So a genuine deal where both parties feel like they got something and they can agree and you can make it work even if everything's not exactly the same on those four pillars.
1: Yeah, and you tend... you tend to see, like, obviously, who their values are. I mean, again, Jess talked about, like, you know, going to the first three or four dates are quite, you know, it's that job interview space. So like, you put on your best pillar, <laughs> but then after a while, like, you know, four or five months down the track, you really get instilled about, hey, they really live their life and their values, yeah. and it should be easy. Like, I oh, don't, no, I like to think him's pre- things pretty simple because I'm an overthinker and mm. I analyzed a lot. But it's like it should be easy. Like, mm. it, you know, shouldn't be like this. Like, it's gonna have bumps. It's relationships, but. Generally, it should be pretty smooth.
0: I don't know if it should be... It shouldn't well, it should be <laughs> Shouldn't be complicated. Yeah, it
1: should be complicated. That's it
0: shouldn't really be complicated, but it also probably shouldn't be easy yeah. because the right person will likely be a mirror for the places you need to be challenged. Yes,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah, the best person in your life, the one who keeps you the most accountable. Really. Yeah, but it the shouldn't be complicated. Most, yeah, it shouldn't be complicated. Yeah, it no.
0: shouldn't be like... Putting together a Rubik's cube, yeah. you know, like <laughs> it just shouldn't feel like that.
1: Now, uh, changing the tune, like you know, from relationships, I guess. In your opinion, from your experiences, what's the biggest thing holding people back from fulfilling their f- full potential? I mean, from your from your own perspective,
0: I'm going to dip back into what I've already said and say insecurity.
1: Insecurity. So fear falls into that.
0: The biggest thing. I'm trying to think of how to word this properly. The biggest thing holding people back is that they look outside of themselves to dictate their standards and then they're constantly chasing their tail and feeling inadequate and feeling insecure and feeling like they can never measure up Mm. because you will never measure up to society's expectations because there's too many. Yeah. And there's too many people to keep happy and there's too many varying principles. And when you're looking outside, which is what – school teaches you and social media teaches you and the the government teaches you these days is to look out and to look at their rules and to follow everything external and regardless of whether it you know like think about school like school uniform right you put something on and you go i don't want to wear that and Mm -hmm. it would be like it doesn't matter what you want to wear you have to wear it because i said so but that doesn't make sense it doesn't matter do what i said And we have this whole system where we always look outside for our answers and you constantly feel inadequate because you Mm. can never make anyone happy. Happy. And it's this constantly emptying cup. Whereas if everyone could close out everyone else and look inside for what they valued, decide on that list, and then go out and battle for it, they could actually live up to their own expectations and actually build self-worth and self-esteem and actually be their highest and best self.
1: Mm. Yeah. Absolutely, they the nail on the head. Yeah, oh, I think uh, I asked for you because, you know, I like that There's is quote A friend of mine once said Like fear He's a psychologist Fear is what drives us Yeah Like you know It's kind of like You know The fear of failure Is often said a lot Is like You know We should That's what We should be avoiding that And push towards to our potential But it's okay to feel failure as well Right Because yeah. we fear it enough Because we've experienced it before So therefore we will continue To run away from that And try to strive for things Right
0: I think fear is I guess what I said Because yeah. it's fear of not belonging Or not being yeah. enough Or not being loved And that's why mm-hmm. You look outside of you, you know, Um, and this is a saying that I've always loved, like you said, exactly what you said about fear, but you have a choice. Is it in front of you and is it pushing you into the ground Mm. or is it behind you pushing you towards your goals? Where do you position yourself in relation to fear in front of it or behind it?
1: And I think you have to be quite selfish, right? Like this sounds obvious, like to reach your own self potential and everyone's potential is different, right? Like I think of my best mates who I've talked about numerous times on my podcast, who are my heroes. And they're doing cool as shit, but it's all different stuff, right? Like, you know, I had a mate who just, you know, he's the most one to last lad and he's travelled Europe, you know, so many times, but that's yeah. his, you know, what he loves doing. And yeah. people question, oh, like, when are you going to settle down? And yeah. like, yeah, I joke around with him and say, when are you going to grow up? But like, it's a cool shit, right? He's, he's doing,
0: beating you know, his drum. Yeah, yeah, he looked inside and, exactly, and he's doing yeah, his own yeah, thing yeah. and that's why he's happy. And
1: I think, you know, they're talking goals like, and, you know, i play, you know, buying houses and doing all this sick shit and, you know, I'll, I'll gravitate towards people who are, you know, doing something different and just being, doing cool shit, like mm. in, 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 in the most simplest terms. Yeah. Or people like, you know, how fucking hard it is just to get through a uni degree and like, yes, yes, really, I, yeah, like I cried well, a like, lot. Yes, yeah, like <laughs> just people who are able to get through real tough things. Yeah. I really gravitate towards and, You know, probably just don't take the easy way out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I hate those people. (laughs) I hate those people. Yeah, Yeah, look,
0: like I said, I'm all for calling out the bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess, like like I said, I think I mentioned cold and conscious earlier, but I don't know, if you're someone who's interested in resilience or building on your self-esteem, doing hard shit, like – they have created and it's not just cold cold. there's other ones it's like cool to be conscious and like there's all these different groups doing it now but they give you a platform to go and train that muscle like if you find it really hard to do on your own and you're not that way naturally inclined put yourself in an environment with people that are going to push you to go there yeah. um so use all these tools and these communities and these groups and these coaches and listen to these yeah. podcasts that will in- inspire you to go do the thing yeah um because if you're not finding it on your tiktok screen like you need to go find it somewhere else yeah. like those people that make you like make the fear worth it
1: mm. you know yeah, yeah, yeah like
0: it's sure. worth the risk yeah it's that whole am i gonna fall or maybe you fly
1: yeah yeah it's exactly like there's so much there's difference between just being sitting there observing coasting along and actually doing something right yeah yeah like sit, like um what's that theory i just had like um bystander Bystander effect? Yes. Yeah, it's a, yeah. like, you know, just kind of watching everyone go to so being the person who's actually going to go and do something. Do you reckon yeah. that's
0: what social media is doing? Creating mass bystander yeah, yeah effect? I think so. Yeah, it's yeah, actually not a bad way to put it. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think so. And I also think, you know, um, another, like, again, it's off topic, but like, the effects, I get quite annoyed about, now this, I'm probably going to cop some heat about this. People who, I'm probably sure they got good intentions, but those people are getting called out for giving people like flowers or spending for their groceries mm. when they does not necessarily ask for it. Know just these random acts of kindness that, okay, that yeah. they do just for sheer validation to see the real world to see that they're doing someone kind yep like it's not that's it not that's not integral like it's not integrity right? is that like, as in
0: because it wouldn't be on instagram if you were really yeah were like doing would, it would
1: f- you do that if it wasn't people no one was watching yeah, yeah yeah and i i get caught up in that stuff as well like i'll just don't I, I hate it. Like, yeah, like it's beautiful. It sends a good message, like generally, but would you do that if people weren't around? Like, We're mm, yeah, like I, and think I, I, I live my standards pretty high. And like I'm probably saying, I live my life standards. I'm a pretty integral person. Like I, I deliver integrity. I'll say sm- a smile towards a stranger and mm. I'll do the same thing towards anyone. And mm. You know, I'll ask a homeless person. And these are the things that, you know, again, give you the most value in life, you know, being an integral person and like going to a homeless person, hey, mate, you got food or like, yeah. you know, and I just think... Again, like what you said, I think that's what so- social media's done. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I think it's I asked that question is, yeah, Would I think pe- a question people should be asking themselves, like would you do this if no one was watching? Yeah. And would you, like, again, you know, and this that's is- gonna, true
1: potential. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I guess this maybe sounds a bit hypocritical because of what I do for work. I do post mm-hmm. a lot of my life mm-hmm. and my experience and what I do- because of my job, because Mm. that's how I coach. It does not mean that everyone should be having all of their feelings and all of their experiences and everything they do online. Mm. Like I'm doing it for a very specific purpose, Mm. but I find that's another thing that people get caught up in is like, they're living to like post what they did on social media rather than like, would you do it if no one was watching? Like, is that all you're doing it for? Because even if you're doing all the right things, if you're only doing it to post it, that's Mm. not what it's about. That's not where you're going to get the benefit. It's about... What's the um what's the the reason you're doing it yeah, yeah, rather yeah. than what you're doing? Yeah. And actually you know? rewise
1: your brain. Like there is a neurochemical like formation when you are actually being integral. I was made, I was this, I was listening to a podcast not yeah. really quite it was like Andrew Huberman or yes, something. Yeah. I love and him. he talks about that. Yeah, me. he's <laughs> great. He talks about the actual neurochemical change in your brain when you were being doing things like integral, like integrity when not in front of people yeah. instead of validation.
0: Do like, you reckon like, that's why we can tell? Because I always have wondered how people can tell, because sometimes you can tell that someone's full of shit. Yeah, disingenuous.
1: and disingenuous. Yeah.
0: Versus, yeah, yeah. that's the <laughs> way to say it. Or you have someone that people like, you know, again, I take, I mentioned the compliment that I get a lot of people say, you're really genuine. I am, but I'm like, how do you know?
1: Yeah, yeah There's yeah. heaps but
0: people on know. Instagram acting like they're being they're themselves. Yeah, like, yeah. I always wonder, what am I doing that they can tell?
1: Yes, yes. You
0: know, and what is it that you watch? Some people are like, I just don't trust you. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if it's like a biological, like, human thing that we somehow yeah. pick up on it from again a survival mechanism yeah, knowing so the difference between right whether you right should response ch- yeah because yeah, yeah. should you trust this person or are they manipulating me like mm-hmm. that's a basic human safety function yeah. so I wonder if on some level if you're in a normal state whether you can pick up on whether that's something that's yeah. genuinely happening or not
1: yeah that's interesting there's
0: I, someone who knows yeah, like you know knows. come on Pat's podcast my, and yeah, chat about it my
1: brain goes to the person who can probably pick that out the most has probably gone through another round around and being able to withstand people who aren't. Yeah. You know? They yeah. know. Yeah. They know. like, So they've, they, they've exposed themselves and their threats and threat and stress response to people who may be stre- threatening or, and, and it's like they're yeah. bullshit. Yeah.
0: yeah. And you're not romantically involved because I will say yes. where there's love and oxytocin, yeah, your like ability to judge character yeah. is severely diminished. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. severely diminished. Just so it's harder to right. know in that department.
1: Yeah. Yeah, as I wrap things up on this episode, it's great, great chat. But I always ask my guests, where do you see yourself five years from now, Nadia? What's the big picture for you in five years?
0: Um, don't know if I'll hit it in five years, but yeah. like my big like yeah. um, manifesting goal is that I want to be like the female Tony Robbins. Yeah. Like that's where I'm headed is I just want to be able to hit – I just want to reach as many people as physically possible with this message and help as me. I've always had that passion of like, I don't want to take one person to excellent. I want to take as many people as possible up five or 10%. Mm. So exactly what that looks like is still evolving for me, but I just see myself doing this on a bigger stage with reaching more people. Um, And yeah, like that's it for me at the moment. I'm it's very, honestly, it evolves so much. Like I'd never touched breath work before towards the end of last year and now it's become such a massive part of my career so i've kind of learned better than to attach myself to a specific outcome and be open to whatever the world puts in my way mm-hmm. to be what my next step is i just know that i want to help as many people as i can and potentially a relationship thing that's something that's yep. becoming more and more of a i think there's a big impact point there so yeah. i think if i could help people have more cohesive relationships in the world would be a heaps better place oh totally
1: yeah yeah and yeah i love i love what you're doing the message and i think like at the end of the day we are we can do much more and especially yeah. in the times that we've just gone through like why not like you know grab it like what i said you can you, you simply can achieve so much more than what you think and yeah. what you want is the starting point yeah uh, definitely nadia how can people find you if they listen to this podcast and want to find out more
0: um on my instagram which i'm fairly sure is nadia underscore mind and core um <laughs> and also my website which is www.mindandcore.com
1: yeah Thank Nadia, thank you for your time on this Wednesday night. I really appreciate it. Thank we you for finished. finally having me <laughs> the fourth time around, I think. Thank yeah. you for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. G'day, 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 g'day,